we are in a race. The race is against time. I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are gonna be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter. Welcome to Sound Conversations. First and foremost, a very big welcome to our uh, new listeners of Sound Conversations. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Joe Sievers, and I'm going to be your host today, speaking with Matt Bell, founder of The Shop, uh, which is a country club for gearheads, as Hello. the tagline puts it, Hello, right Jim. here in the Soto District in downtown Seattle, and we are here at The Shop in the Cigar Room, I believe you call it. Is that right, Matt? Card room, cigar room, depends cigar on what's room. going on. Okay. Uh, perfect. So kind of the purpose of this podcast is to gain a unique insight into the people that make the Puget Sound area great. We've got a whole lot of people right in our backyard that we want to uh, get some insight from and highlights and share some success stories. And we just simply thought a podcast would be a great way to, to go about doing that. So quick background for me, I'm a Seattle guy, I've been here nearly 50 years, I hate to say that, but uh, all the past I've you know, done some golf, done some insurance, get to know people from around here and I'm always fascinated with what makes people tick and uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, what makes somebody want to go try a new venture like this. So. Uh, I've known Matt for a few years and thought he'd be a great guy and this would be a great venue to kind of kick off our podcast. So say hello, Matt. Hello. And, <laughs> and Joe, if this podcast is about successful people, the bar is set very low, so you can only go up from here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, now I'm not a huge gearhead, mm -hmm. so I don't want to try and be anything I'm not, but uh, again, my hope with the next half hour, 45 minutes or so is just simply focus uh, a kind of a deep dive on what made you decide to start this, what are some obstacles that you had to overcome, what made you finally go, you know what, I'm done in the tech world and mm -hmm. it's time for me to follow my passion. Mm -hmm. And uh, secondly, what is it about cars and motorcycles that... Mm -hmm everybody loves and what do you think the key is to the success of this place? I know it's taken off and mm -hmm. uh, done real well in the beginning and what are mm -hmm. the future plans and where are we going and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. But before we get too much into that, give me a little bit of, of your background. You're a big guy, so I'm assuming you grew <laughs> up playing sports. And I did. I, I, uh, I moved to Seattle when I was 10 and have lived here on and off ever since. I, went, I grew up on the east side. I went to Bellevue High School. Uh, went to Boise State on a football scholarship. Didn't like it. Came back to the UW. Finished up there. So didn't didn't like football. Didn't like. Didn't the like. I love. I loved the football. What? That was fun. It was um, Boise back in 1991 was a very small town, and um, I was interested in in more than football in in life. And uh, Boise only really served one purpose at that time for me. And. So I came back and uh, started working at Costco to help pay for my college since I wasn't on scholarship anymore, and, uh, and then got involved with a fraternity, which also led me to a scholarship and helped me get through school and kind of worked my, put myself through school until I graduated uh, with a business degree uh, with concentrations in finance and marketing. 
in about 90, I guess that was 95, 95. So, and then got into um, sales, pharmaceutical sales, and then transition, transitioned into technology and started out as a, as a software salesperson and worked my way up into management and then running uh, eventually sales teams and then divisions within companies and then helping run uh, companies uh, until the last job that I had before I got uh, the, uh, the wherewithal to do this one is uh, it was the CEO of a software company based out of Tel Aviv, Israel. And uh, that was an interesting five years. And, um, and then during that time, I, I had this idea that I wanted to pursue something that was more, you know, of my passion than, than necessarily selling more software. And so I worked on this business plan and, and um, you know, got, got started doing the shop, first, first finding a couple of investors and then eventually. Uh, so go a little deeper in that. So you mm -hmm. said find a couple of investors. What were you looking for? How did you approach them? You know, yeah. So, for me, it was, it. You know, I I, I was lucky in that um, I knew a few investors, and, and having run a, a couple of companies and and a couple of startups in technology here in Seattle, I got to know a pretty good wide range of people. And fortunately, most of the companies I was involved in were successful, so I was able to get meetings with people and. And tell them about my new idea, and uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, that people believed in it early and uh, and said that they would be willing to invest, and that's kind of what gave me my validation that it wasn't just something that I wanted; that the shop was something that other people wanted as well. Um, and uh, and so uh, you know, I, I did that for about a year, raising money and and uh, refining the business plan, and then I went out and found this building that we're in now and. And got yeah, started. You had to get pretty lucky to get this place. <laughs> I every, you know, everything is, uh, you know, I, I chalk up to a, a little bit of luck uh, and hard work and timing. And without those three things, there's no way I would have had this place or this business. Um, you know, I was literally driving around Soto because I knew I wanted to be near the stadiums in Soto, where there were warehouses. And I saw the sign on this building, and I called the landlord, Rob Stack, and. Fortunately enough for me, he was willing to talk to me and and listen to my ideas. And I um, I was uh, you know the real competition down here at that time were marijuana growers and um, Amazon. Well, which is still you know a big competitor in in any real estate market here in Seattle. But um, Rob didn't want to uh, deal with any marijuana growers <laughs> and and. And fortunately uh, for us, the, the ceiling height in the warehouse, I was told, is not appropriate for uh, any use that Amazon wanted. So they passed on it, and then finally I was third in line and got a chance to, to do a deal. So, um, so it, worked out, it worked out really well. We needed something with parking, which we have free parking out front. I wanted something convenient location to I-5 and I-90, which we got. Um, and then space to be able to store cars with space that we could build into uh, a restaurant, a member lounge. And so, um, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to, to get this building. So how many, how much space do you have here? How many? Well, we, we originally had uh, 36,000 square feet. Um, and we, but uh, shortly after we opened, I realized that that, that wasn't enough. 
so now we have roughly 55,000 square feet uh, of space because we got um, we leased a building next door to expand our storage. So uh, so we we have more space than we thought, and you know. I, there's a whole lot of things that, that I could that I could point to, um, you know, as as far as you know things that were lucky in this business, and one of which I think is the uh, luck I had in, in getting involved with Ethan and Angela Stoll for the restaurant. Yeah, how'd you how'd you meet them? Well, I I'd, I'd known Ethan uh, through a circle of friends, and then I saw him at a Husky tailgate. Uh, uh, right before the game, at the ambulance, and uh, it wasn't at the ambulance. It's right <laughs> next door. But uh, okay. I went and uh, and I said, "Hey, Ethan, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch you on this new idea I have. I just want you to remember, you know, that it came from me, so that you answer it. So you actually answer your email. He's like, oh, don't don't send me an email. Here, you know, use my cell number here. Just let's just go have coffee." And he heard this idea, and the thing that appealed to most of, for Ethan was um, that food is, you know, having a good restaurant is, is great and having good food, but patrons want an experience. And this place is definitely an experience as far as walking in, seeing cars in the lobby. You're surrounded by big windows of cars being stored. And I would say one of the one of the misnomers that I like to clear up with people about the shop and about Derby, the restaurant, is that it's not just for gearheads. I mean, certainly gearheads have a home here, and this is you know a fun place to be if you're into cars and motorcycles. But even if you're not, even if you're a casual person or you you're you're the partner of somebody who's really into this stuff, you can come in, you can sit down in Derby, you can have a good bite to eat, you can have a great drink, uh, be surrounded by this thing, and 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 have an experience at whatever level you want that, that is interesting to you. There's cool cars in the parking lot usually when you drive up um, and, and you meet people of, of a common interest. And I think that's really important in general um, today with all the online experiences for, for people to have good, real, uh, authentic face-to-face interaction. So I know you run some events, some things like that. What are some of the events you run yeah, so we have we have two kinds of events. We have member events and non-member events. Uh, the member events, of course, are open to our members. Uh, there are things like um, we have classes on how to do things like welding. We have car pri- uh, uh, private car collection viewings that we've arranged with local people that that allow us in. Um, we have uh, show and tell of people's cars who are members. Uh, we have holiday parties. <laughs> we had one for New Year's and one for Halloween. Um, actually, those are also open to uh, the public. Uh, we, we give our members first choice, and then um, if there are leftover tickets, we allow uh, we open it up to the public. Um, but it's also a place for the public. I mean, the restaurant and the bar is open to the public. And um, we have cars and coffee every Saturday. We have bikes and brunch every Sunday. Um, and then we have other events that... that you know, uh, bring people in from the public too. So again, that they can, they can experience this too. So what happens at a cars and coffee? Well, cars and coffees at 10, we do it 10 to noon on Saturday. And, uh, and basically what we do is we literally provide free coffee out in the parking lot. People drive their cars here to kind of, to kind of show, uh, show, show and share. And, um, and it happens 
naturally in lots of parking lots all over. Uh, but none of them are, you know, places that are geared towards the car and motorcycle community. And I think that's what makes it more personal, more personal and intimate here is that, um, you know, you're not just in a mall, you know, standing around, uh, you know, looking at people's cars. You actually, you know, get coffee, go inside, use the bathrooms, hang out, have brunch and make an experience of it. And that's, that's what, you know, the original vision was. Um, I, I use the analogy of, you know, we want to do for cars and motorcycles what Howard Schultz did for coffee, which is create an experience for people to enjoy it. Howard Schultz didn't invent coffee. He just invented a better way to, to enjoy it and bring people together. And that's what we want to do for cars and motorcycles. Of all the uh, cars in here, I know you've got a few different ones, but which one's your favorite? <laughs> I think that changes daily. You know, we have by design a wide variety of cars. I think that also reflects the people who are here. How many cars do you have here? We have a little over 200 cars uh, that are stored here. Um, and, you know, literally it's everything from a Volkswagen to a Ferrari to, you know, a Jeep to a, you know, any any kind of, you know, collectible. Still working on a little Mini Cooper. Yeah. A classic Mini Cooper. You need one. You I need know. one, Joe. I, I can help you find one. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's um and, and also the type of people the other the other fun dynamic of this business is you get people from all walks of life and all kinds of backgrounds. And there's one thing that brings everybody together and that's the enjoyment, the passion. Uh, for cars and motorcycles and you know it is a lot like uh, football where you know you could be sitting in, in um, CenturyLink field jumping up and down slapping high fives one, one guy's a billionaire one guy's you know uh, you, you know an, an hourly uh, you know worker and so and but but you all have that you share that excitement and enthusiasm um, and, uh, and that's what's fun about this place is bringing people together and uh, about something they're really passionate about. And cars are definitely an emotional, and motorcycles are an emotional experience for people. Well, I've definitely wrecked every motorcycle I've been on, <laughs> including a scooter, so I, I stay away from those. But yeah. tell, how, do you, what do you like about motorcycles? Better, different than cars? Do you, yeah, do you, again, do you I, I'm, much, a, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a, a speed junkie, so I, I I love motorcycles a lot, um, but it is Seattle. Mm, so when you think about the practicality of riding a motorcycle around every day, it's not great. I also have three daughters too, so not only you know just the safety issue, but getting them around town, I, I need a car. Um, uh, but there's something about being connected to a machine in a way that it feels like part of you, and, and a motorcycle is that. When you ride a motorcycle, you, you feel like it, it really is a part of your body. You're sitting on it, you're riding on it, you're hanging on for dear life. When you touch the throttle, it instantly responds. Uh, when you when you use the brakes, you know if you're riding a nice bike, it's 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 like you know you think it and it and it just responds. And there's a lot of cars that are like that too. Um, I am new into the higher end or supercar experience, but I've gotten to drive a bunch of really nice cars and. It's just such a visceral reaction when you're when you're driving a car uh, that is so responsive. And I have another car; it's a '68 Charger that is. I, I grew up as a fan of Dukes of Hazard, and so 
I always had a, a soft spot in my heart for for chargers and you know when I get in that car literally I smile I can't help it I'm like a little kid you know I I started up I you know I have uh you know a very loud exhaust system on it and um very low gears and posi traction and you know much to the chagrin of my kids I like to do you know donuts and burnouts just like I was you know 16 years old again and and uh and that car just puts a smile on my face and so um I forgot where your question was going with this, but it's it's um, uh, it's hard for me to choose what's better, but it's just a different experience, and I think I think that's what I like about this place is the variety of the cars that are here. So I got to I got finally got a ride in a uh, was it the P one hundred Tesla? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Unbelievable acceleration, obviously. But what do you think about the whole elect electric car stuff, the Tesla stuff, these? Obviously, you, you all know, these you know, supercars are now, you know, kind of these hybrids. Yeah, it, it is. It is a game changer. The Teslas are a game changer. I mean, you know, it's like, it really is like, when you get your first smartphone, uh, and when you yeah. get, and when you get into a Tesla, it like, it's like, you, there's things about that car. You're like, why don't? This is so obvious. You know, they they sort of took because they aren't an established brand manufacturers. They took the rule book, threw it out, and figured out. You know how to how to how to build something, you know that's really practical and people want. I love driving that car. It is a really weird experience to accelerate and drive a car that has virtually no sound. It's just such a such a weird experience, um, you know. Uh, but but a really but a really great one too. Um, and again, it's the variety that that um, that I love. I think long term collector cars and, and gas powered cars. Are going to be even more collectible because I do think you know renewable energy and electric powered cars are the future, and I think that's the future of commuting, not the future of collecting and enthusiasm. You know, and um, and so I think places like this will will hopefully be more and more relevant as as time goes on because we'll, we'll be a collection of people who are who are fond of something that is a relic or 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 something of the past. You mentioned obviously your your three daughters. Are they following in your footsteps? <laughs> uh, I wish. I you know it, this place has helped me a little bit in that their experience with cars are usually around my cars. And um, I started out my oldest daughter actually working on and restoring a car with me, and so she uh, she got that exposure, but um, they haven't gotten the bug yet, and I'm not quite sure why, but. Here, it's helped to have them around cars more. Now they want to come in and wash cars. I think mostly because I offered to pay them <laughs> to wash cars. And they're just in the money more necessarily than the cars. But, you know, they're, they're exposed to it, and I hope they catch it. And Because that sure would be fun. I, I've told them that um, uh, when they turn 15, they get to pick their car. And then we'll restore it and work on it together. And so hopefully when, when, when they turn 16, they can drive something that's a little bit more classic that they can have an appreciation for. So we'll see if that works. I'll let you know. My oldest just turned 13, so I've got, I've got two years left. So. A little bit of time. I'm mm -hmm. assuming uh, you're going to make sure they pick out something safe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Not a Mini Cooper. Not, <laughs> Not a, a Mini classic Cooper. Mini Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Talk a little bit about the uh, the derby and the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I keep kind of I've been down here. Obviously, I love the uh, badass bacon. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, 
that's a that one of our good, signature so how, dishes. Yeah, how did that come about? How well, it's it funny. I so the whole restaurant dynamic of this place is is really interesting to me because I've never been around restaurants other than other than uh, when I was 15, I did lie about my age so that I could get a job in a restaurant, being a busboy. Uh, outside of that experience, I'm, I've only been a patron, and I've learned a lot. From being around Derby and 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 from you know being involved and watching Ethan and his team and you know working with Angela and all the all the financial stuff and just kind of understanding the operations of a business, it, those two are a great team. The reason why it was important to me to have a good food experience, I wanted it to be a standalone experience. I didn't want this to be just another burger joint, although we do have a good burger, but um, I wanted it to be more than that and. Um, and you know, when I thought about people spending time and and you know building a community, it's food and and drink that brings people together. And um, so I wanted that to be a really good experience for for everyone, whether you're a gearhead or not. And certainly Derby and and the ESR group has really delivered on that. You know, I've always said it's like, you know, if we weren't if we didn't have Derby, you know, we would just be an, a garage. And you know when when you invite people over and you have friends come over to your house, you end up hanging out in the kitchen, and that's kind of what I envisioned for this place. Okay, what uh, you know? What's something that maybe is on the menu or something that people don't typically order? Or what's your favorite favorite meal here? Well, we, you mentioned the bacon. Yeah. Um, the bacon has a little bit of a story in that I found this place in San Francisco when I was there and I loved the bacon and I would always go back for the bacon and um, and I told Ethan I said I don't know anything about the restaurant business but I know I want one thing this there's this really good bacon it's really thick it's uh, sweet and a little bit spicy and it's a standalone dish and uh, and and much to our our chef here on site is uh, Thomas Dodd, and much to uh, his um, credit, he was able to create his own badass, is what we called it, bacon. Um, and uh, so that's definitely my favorite dish. You can make anything badass. You can make your BLT badass. You can make your burger badass. You can make your Bloody Mary badass by just adding bacon to it. So that's that's one of my favorite sort of uh, sort of food groups, <laughs> bacon, here. Um, but you know, we we actually regularly try and change the menu. Obviously, seasonality of food. All of our food is fresh. Uh, we, we we take a lot of pride in fresh, you know, organic, you know, farm, local um, ingredients. And so we we have a. You know the seasonality of the different foods that we cook is one is one thing, but also the variety. I eat here every day, so I like a little bit of variety. And so we change the menu a, a lot. And and then I'd say the other the other thing about our restaurant that's great is we have the longest happy hour in Seattle that we know of, three to seven every day, and uh, good food and weekends drink specials. Too? What's that? Weekends too. Uh, weekends, uh, no happy hour on the weekends, weekends. Uh, but we do brunch on the weekends. weekends. Yeah, so. What uh, is, we haven't really talked about it much. I know I don't know the guy you've gotten back here, kind of the metal fabricator. Mm -hmm. The tell me a little bit about him. Mm -hmm. Tell me what 
cat. Yeah. Those types of things you can so do. So we're, we're fortunate enough to have some pretty skilled people here. I, I wanted this place to not just, um, you know, be a place with tools, but I wanted to have really good, experienced craftsmen. And so we were able to find uh, a couple of good guys to to help build our team of expertise here. Um, there's a gentleman who works out of here named Elliot Toller Scott, who um, runs El Hot Metal Fab. He's he's a local guy. He's pretty well known in the Porsche, you know, classic Porsche community, where he takes cars and and does all the metal and body work to them, and uh, does an incredible job. And we're able to convince him to come and move his 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 shop in here and work from the shop uh, and service our clients and his clients um, for any metal fabrication needs. The, the, the cool thing about Elliot is that he's, he's a true artist and he's, you know, we're just bringing him out in, a, in an area where more people can enjoy his work and see it. Um, he teaches classes twice a month so that if you're interested in learning how to do metal fabrication, welding, bending, fitment, he, uh, he teaches those classes twice a month. So as a member, you can come here and learn how he does it and see his work. It's really neat. Um, and then the other guy we, we were fortunate enough to, to find to, to work here, um, uh, his name's Yanchi, and Yanchi has been an instructor at Shoreline Community College for nine years, um, teaching people how to, how, you know, ASC certified mechanics, teaching them, you know, their trade. And, um, and we're fortunate enough to get him, a guy like that with his experience and his uh, certifications to be here to not only work on cars but teach people how to work on cars because that's what what we enjoy is is people expanding on on what they know and and their hobby and whether he is teaching somebody to to do the work or whether we're doing the work for people we have a program that's set up to to help and and do it affordably we, we only work on member cars um, and uh, but we do that at a reduced rate we do it at $75 an hour which is about half the price of a normal, a normal technician. So let's circle back just a little bit. You're in the tech industry. What made you decide, okay, I'm out, I'm done. I want to chase yeah. my dream and do, the, do that. Yeah, I, 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 guess, I guess I felt like time is precious. And, you know, I, I had a couple of life, you know, experiences that, uh, you know, forced me to really think about, you know, where I'm spending my time. Was uh, my dad unexpectedly passing away, and he, his story is interesting in that he was born and raised on a farm, and he got run over a tractor when he was in high school. And he spent a lot of time in the hospital, and he decided he wasn't going to be a farmer anymore, and so he uh, he went to college got an engineering degree, graduated, got a job with the same company he worked for for 37 years until he retired. And ironically, he retired and bought a farm <laughs> so he could go and, and farm again. And he only was able to do that for a couple of years before he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly. And so I kind of looked at his, his life and that experience, and I just thought, you know, life... Life is short. Time is precious. Am I really doing what I want to do? Um, and while I had a great job and a, 
and, and, and working for a company that I enjoyed and, and you know, in a, in a position and running the company, it was, it was everything. It sort of checked all the boxes that I wanted in life, except it wasn't quite feeling, feeling as fulfilling as I'd wanted. And so I decided I want to do something I want to do, you know, and, and I want to make money. I want to build a really good business, but I want to do something completely different that makes, you know, me happy, makes other people happy. And so, uh, you know, I really started working on this idea and I, and I figured that it was a viable, it was a viable business to start. And so, um, you know, candidly, uh, you know, the downside risk to me was financial. Um, but, um, you know, I felt like I could always go back to technology and, and go back to doing what I was doing before. But if I didn't do this now, I never would. And so I just, you know, I, I think I was fortunate enough to be in a position to say, screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go pursue this dream of mine. And, um, and, and I had the support of my family, my friends, uh, my girlfriend, who all were very supportive of me in doing this. And, and, uh, and that's very lucky. You know, I feel very fortunate to have that opportunity to, to do that. And so, so I did it. So when you were looking for investors and you were looking for people to kind of join you on the journey, what were you looking for? Were there a couple people that you thought would, would help you and just said no? Or was yeah, that, was I mean, pretty I, much everybody kind of. Yeah, I had been part of technology startups and I thought that it was going to be as easy raising money for this as it was a technology startup. And, and I was surprised that some of the people I thought would be interested in, in venture capital were, weren't necessarily interested in this. One of the things that I really looked for in, for my investors is people who were interested and passionate about cars and motorcycles that wanted to be involved. And I think that really helped us get a fast start here. You know, having a, a group of investors and having them be car people, not all of them are car people, but most of them uh, w was really beneficial to us because then they went in their circles and told other people about it and got other people involved. And that really, that really helped us a lot. But, um, you know, we have a, a couple of investors who, who couldn't care less about cars, but, but like the idea of, um, you know, one investor in particular is involved in retail and he said, that he, he liked the idea because it was something that people were passionate about. While he wasn't a car guy, he was a boat guy and could understand, you know, kind of how, it, how it, the parallels are. And, you know, another, another investor who's involved is, is, uh, is in retail and loved the membership model, you know, having people involved and, and, and being members and figuring out how to monetize that is something that he saw as very valuable. And so... We do have a variety, but uh, but you know having having that enthusiasm for cars and motorcycles is really important for the majority of our investors. So making the move kind of on both ends of the spectrum, what do you think the smartest move you made was, and what was the dumbest? Yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, there's plenty. I make plenty of mistakes. <laughs> um, the smartest move I think is partnering, bringing people in, in who who have you know, the background that I don't. And, um, you know, certainly uh, one of those is, uh, you know, the, for the restaurant side of the business. If I was trying to figure out how to run a restaurant, we'd be a total failure. 
um, having somebody involved who already who already is successful in that arena is, is super super important. Probably probably the most important thing. Uh, only you know secondary of which I think is our location. Getting getting this location is another is another really important thing that worked out well for us. Things that you know uh, you know lessons that we're learning. I think like in any job, I, I had to figure out what kind of people to hire, you know, what to pay them, what to expect from, from, you know, the people that I work with. It's a whole new industry, a whole new set of people and skills that I'm, you know, still trying to understand and get used to. And, and, um, I would say those are the things that are, are hard in any business is, is the people aspect. And certainly has been somewhat hard. Now we've got great people, um, involved now, and we had great people involved before too, but it just for whatever reason, it wasn't a fit when we first opened. And we just celebrated our five-month anniversary a few days ago, and I feel like now we've we've kind of got things set in motion. And and the ultimate goal is to reproduce this. This is uh, you know we're we're the shop clubs with an S dot com for a reason because uh, we want multiple locations. So we're thinking about what's next and where to go and what to do and how we can take the pieces of this that work and really, uh, you know, put it into other markets. Well, one, I know we're, uh, kind of wrapping up here, but, uh, I'm a big believer that great conversations have great endings. Oh boy. So no pressure. Wow. <laughs> no, no, no pressure at all. But, um, you know, if there's one thing just hitting on that, time is precious and, and, and kind of all that. If there's one piece of advice you would give to another 40-something-year-old thinking about making a career change or thinking about doing something, what would, you, what would you recommend? What would you say? The tough thing is change. And no matter what you do or where you are and what your dynamics are, the tough thing is change. And I feel like if people, no matter what business you're in, what position you're in, if you have that itch for change, it's there for a reason. And I think you got to really dive in and look at it and understand what it is. And I think most people, you know, you call it a midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it, but I think, I think you got to look at your life at some point and decide whether or not, you know, change is going to, you know, fulfill you in, in one way, shape, or form. And I think... I think in today's day and age, you know, the way the way the world works is is you know it rewards those who are willing to take the risk, and change is is risky for anybody. And I think, I think that I would you know just personally encourage uh, people to make that change and 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 expect people around you are going to fall into one of two camps. They're going to love and care about you and tell you that change is hard and it's risky and try and talk you out of it. Or there's people, you know, who love and care about you and want to see you fulfill your dreams. Just listen to the, <laughs> just listen to the ones, uh, you know, uh, who who love you number one and care about you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who will give you lots of free advice who don't love and care about you. Um, but uh, but surround yourself with people who are going to help enable you to make your life better. Well, that sounds like a great ending. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, hosting us here at the shop. Uh, obviously, recommend this place to uh, all our 
listeners and soon-to-be listeners, uh, come down, check out uh, the shop, check out uh, Matt Bell, the Derby, uh, all the events you're, ha- you're going to have here, whether it be the, uh, what was the Saturday's coffee? Cars and coffee. Cars and coffee and brunch and bikes mm-hmm. uh, on the weekend. Um, come down, check it out, and uh, hopefully you'll see a uh, classic Mini Cooper here soon. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on the show. And I look forward to listening to many other uh, podcasts that you put out. All right. right. Thank you, Matt. It was great to chat with you. Thank you also to the shop, the Derby. Uh, Don't forget to obey all traffic laws and drive safe. Um, And one last thing, please continue to join us here at Sound Conversations. No need to rush down to the bookstore uh, for your latest dose of inspiration. Stay tuned right here as local leaders rain down tips and inspirations to enhance your dreams right here at Sound Conversations.